This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. At that point, I probably had maybe a quarter inch of ice on the wings, um, and I flipped the system onto max. When I put it on max, it was not getting rid of what I had. What I had on there was not going away. And if you have to use your system on max, you got to get out of it. Welcome to another edition of There I Was, a podcast where we put you in the cockpit with pilots in demanding situations, and we learn how they flew out of them. I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Today's guest is Minnesota pilot Terry Pretzloff. Terry learned to fly in 2015, got his license in 2016, and has been pretty busy since then. He's gone all the way up through the ratings, instrument, commercial, CFI, CFII, MEI, and he currently teaches in the Cirrus. He's going to share a story with us today about an icing encounter flying in the Cirrus that's got a lot of lessons learned for all of us. Terry, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So you were sharing with us a story about an icing encounter. Uh, do you mind sharing that story with us? Yeah. So I had flown out um, from Rochester, Minnesota, out to um, Chicago Midway with my brother-in-law. We were going to be out there just for a couple hours to, to pick up some things. Um, you know, originally, we were planning on not going as I checked the weather the night before, and it was looking uh, pretty low uh, IFR to IFR conditions you know, throughout the almost entire route. Uh, so we decided to to kind of make the decision in the morning if we were going to go or not. And I woke up, you know, in the morning, and the weather was forecasted to be a lot a lot better than than what originally forecasted the night before. So I did a full weather briefing and and looked at uh, everything in Forflight. I like to use Forflight as my weather briefing so I can get a good graphical picture of of what's going on. And then if I have any questions, you know, as I'm going through my Forflight weather briefing, um, I might call a briefer and you know, discuss something that might be concerning to me. Um, and when I did that briefing in the morning, I didn't see anything that was of much concern. Um, I believe we filed at 5,000 or 7,000 on the way out to Chicago. Uh, there were a couple of spots in there that were, you know, just west, I'm sorry, just east of Rochester that were showing a little bit of icing potential, uh, forecasted icing. Um, but this particular airplane's um, certified for flight into known icing conditions. And it was just a small spot on the way out there, so uh, we figured we'd try to try to make the trek. And you know, I was aware of all the information. I had several outs. You know, should I encounter icing on the way out there? Um, we flew out there, no no issues. Didn't pick up any ice in in those areas that were 
were forecasted for some made the made the trip to Chicago uh, very uneventful. Um, ran our errands, came back to the airplane, did a full full weather brief. Um, and I should note that you know when I was on the ground in Chicago when we were out running our errands, you know, I was constantly looking. I didn't bring my iPad with me, but I've got four flight on my phone, so I was constantly watching the weather just because I knew that you know the night before it wasn't forecasted to be great and. As the day moved on, it was um, you know into the evening they were forecasting some worse weather, some some snow and and um, IFR conditions. So I wanted to make sure that I had a, a good understanding of you know what was going on, even though you know I wasn't flying at the time because I'm trying to prepare for for the return trip home. Um, so we got to the airport. I did a did a full weather briefing, and um, you know, it was kind of this area of weather that almost has been sitting there the whole day and you know, like I said we had flown through some of it on the way out there with with no issues so um I you know did the other briefing I saw that there was uh, some low IFR along our route of flight but that wasn't anything that we would be you know landing at unless we had to divert or had an emergency or something like that so that was I was in the back of my mind I always you know, like to look at that and figure out if I you need to divert and are there going to be airports I'm going to be able to get into and it was you know it wasn't very long. It was maybe 50 miles um, of area that was was under IFR or low IFR. Um, but a little bit thing that got me a little bit more concerned. There was some icing potential along the way, which, like I said, that was forecasted when we flew out to Chicago. And I think the tops of that day were about 16,000 feet. So this airplane, it can, it's certified to fly up to 25,000 feet. It's got oxygen. So I had another option that way. Should I get into into any um, icing that I needed to get out of, I could always climb up and, and climb up and out of it, or I could turn around. Um, and there was, you know, as I looked at the weather briefing, there was a, a warm front that was sitting just to the north uh, northwest of of Chicago. So we were still in that in that warm air in Chicago. And as we flew to the northwest, you know, we would fly through that front, and, and the weather was going to get going to get colder. So, you know, I knew that you know, there would be a potential for icing just given that and kind of thought about everything, looked at where my outs are when I was on the ground. I saw that, uh, you know, Rockford was, was one of the last big airports that was, uh, you know, forecast to be VFR for a little while longer. Uh, so we departed and climbed up out of Chicago, got, you know, vectored around a little bit and, and then pretty, pretty quick, uh, they gave us direct to Rochester, Minnesota. So Terry, if I can just kind of recap where we are. So you uh, were about to do the return flight on a very same uh, route that you just flew. You are an instructor in the Cirrus, so at this point in your flying career, you're very proficient, uh, very familiar with the systems. You had just flown the same route, basically. Now you're going to reverse it. You've kept your eye on the weather. So you're feeling pretty good about understanding the situation, understanding the weather as best you can. And then there's the realization that as best we can, always leaves some gaps that we're, that we're not quite certain about or that could change on us. And in this case, you're already starting to assess your outs. Well, I have a VFR field here. The icing's supposed to, and the weather's supposed to top here. My plane can go up this high. So you're already starting to assess all your options should you, should you need to use them. Yeah, so let me back up this minute. You know, I've, you said I'm you know, fly regularly. I've flown, you know, well over 600 hours in the past year. A lot of it's been, you know, in instrument conditions and, you know, so I'm very comfortable in there. I'm, I'm uh, very proficient, um, not only, you know, with the autopilot, but also hand flying. I believe that, uh, you know, you need to be able to hand fly the airplane just in the event that the autopilot fails. So, 
you know, my, my skill level, my proficiency is up. So, you know, it's really at this point, as I'm looking at the weather and planning for this, um, none of that's really that much of a concern for me. You know, obviously icing is, is something very serious and you don't want to uh, sit in those conditions, especially in even, even a Cirrus that's equipped for flight into non icing conditions. Um, but yeah, as far as the weather goes, um, you know, I think what people tend to forget is weather is very dynamic and, just because it's forecast, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's going to happen. Um, what we flew through on the way over there was not what was forecasted. You know, there was forecasted to be some very small areas of, of moderate icing that we didn't get any icing in. So you know, there's a there's a saying that ice is where you find it. You, you might not know where it is until you get into it, and you could potentially be in a situation where you can't get out of it if you don't plan properly. Yeah, I have found that to be the case, that icing can be one of the most difficult things for the weather systems to forecast accurately for whatever reason, both it's not there when it's supposed to be. And, you know, more dangerously, it is there when there's no mention of it. And I think what's interesting in your case, you're bringing out to us that yes, the airplane is, is FIKI certified flight into known icing. However, you use that as a transitory. Uh, so you still will avoid ice if you can, and only uh, transitory going through ice will you use that capability. It's not something that you want to linger in. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. I mean, even even Cirrus is, you know, if I look back and reflect on, on the training course that they provide is, is a phenomenal course. Um, and they say use it early and use it often and don't sit in it. And that's exactly right. I mean, you don't want to, the, the airplanes and even, even the most sophisticated jets that, you know, airliners and, and private jets, those guys don't even just sit in it. You know, they, they use it to, to get in and get out. And, and I was actually having a conversation with a cousin of mine who's a, a corporate pilot. Um, you know, they turn their icing protection system well on before, you know, they've got you know, regs and, and kind of company policies that they have to abide by, but you know, they'll turn that on at certain temperatures, you know, especially if they know that they're going into potential icing conditions. And, you know, I've heard many stories about guys that'll fly a, a Cirrus and they won't turn the ice protection on until they start accumulating ice or until they start think they might need it. Well, if you're going to be in the clouds for even the shortest amount of time, I go back to what, what Cirrus says is, you know, use it early and use it often. And there's an important distinction between anti-ice and de-ice, right? And the TKS uh, fluid that you have, the wet wings and the Cirrus, that TKS is designed for anti-ice. Now, it can de-ice, and I think we'll get into that a little bit, but uh, I think you make an important point that really getting on it early and preventing the ice in the first place is normally your best, uh, your best course of action. Yeah, absolutely. So there you are. You've, you've done all the preparation, and you see what the weather's looking like. You've got some outs you're already thinking about. Should it get worse than what, than what you expect? And you launch out of, uh, you launch out of Midway. Yeah, so we're out of Midway, and, um, you know, Chicago's busy airspace, so you get handed off to a couple different controllers. You get vectored around for, for the O'Hare traffic and um, get a climb, a couple different different climbs uh, they give you before they uh, get you up to your cruising altitude and, and on course to your destination. Um, so here we are, you know, we're up at our cruising altitude. I filed for 8,000 feet. That that seemed like a, a good altitude given the um, stronger winds a lot, you know, higher up. I didn't want to you know, prolong the flight any longer. It was um, kind of ready to get home, but also, you know, and I want to point out that although I wanted to get home, I also wanted to live to fly another day. So 
as much as I didn't want to stay in a, in a hotel, it was, it was in the back of my mind that, Hey, you know what, we might be staying in a hotel tonight, but, um, you know, let's, let's just see what, uh, if we can make the flight and if, if something, um, doesn't go right or if the weather changes and well, you know what, we got options. And, and I was well aware of, of the big picture and, and what the weather was doing. So, um, that wasn't really a, a concern to, to depart and, and start the flight for me. So we climb up 8,000 feet and, uh, you know, here we are, um, coming up on Rockford and I'm, I'm, you know, we've got serious XM weather on the, on the, on the Cirrus. Um, and I want to point out too, that, you know, people should never use that to try to navigate around, around weather and around storms and, and things like that. And there's a delay in, you know, what's actually happening out there and, and what you're seeing on your screen, uh, even more so of a delay when you're when you're looking at ADSB, I mean, I've had ADSB show a delay of you know 10, 15 minutes or more at times. Um, so I'm you know, I'm also keeping that in mind when I'm looking at precipitation that I'm seeing ahead of me that you know seems to be potentially building a little bit. Um, and then I'm looking outside. What am I seeing visually? Okay, well I got a shelf that looks like if we stayed 8,000 that we could we could be in it. So I asked for a climb up to 10,000, um, and then was handed off to uh, to Rockford approach. Rockford approach. Sierra 754 Delta Juliet, climb to 10,000. Sierra 754 Delta Juliet, climb maintain 10,000. 10,000, 4 Delta Juliet. So Rockford approach gives me that climb up to up to 10,000 feet. I get above that shelf, and then short time later, I see you know some really really taller clouds, and you know, that was to be expected because like I said, I did that weather brief. I knew the the tops were forecasted to be about 16,000 feet, and you know some of the bases along that route were IFR to low IFR, so you know you're talking 200 to you know four 600 foot ceilings. Um, so I turned the ice protection system on, and you know we went into the clouds. And just a short time after that, uh, Rockford Approach was pointing out some areas to moderate precipitation that that were along our route of flight. Through 754 Delta Juliet, areas of light to moderate precipitation between your 10 and 2 o'clock. Beginning in about one five miles, and it's just for about the next three zero miles. So I asked for a. I actually took a second to kind of look at the weather and, and kind of make that determination. You know, should I should I divert now or should I should I continue on? Um, and I figured, you know, I'm not picking up any ice. I know it's forecasted, but you know, kind of like what we talked about before, you you may not even get any. We didn't get any on the way on the way over. So. Um, I figured I'd ask them to, to give us some vectors around the weather, and then we'd uh, proceed direct Rochester and have a, an uneventful flight, uh, just as we did out there. Okay, can you give me a vector around it, Fort Delta Juliet? For Fort Delta Juliet, Roger, you could uh, fly heading of three, let's go three five zero vectors for weather. Three five zero, Fort Delta Juliet. So they vectored us north, and um, probably only, it, it seemed like a really, really short time, and then they gave us direct Rochester, and had us contact Chicago Center. And by that time, it was it was dark out, and I happened to look out uh, out the left wing. And every time the strobe would go off, I could see precipitation. And I'm like, well, what the heck? I thought that uh, you know they were vectoring us around it, uh, because initially when I had contacted them, um, we were in nothing, no no rain, no snow, no precipitation at all. So that kind of was surprising to me that all of a sudden we were in some precipitation. Um, we weren't picking up any ice at that time. And so I, you know, reprogrammed the, the GPS to go direct to Rochester. And it wasn't, wasn't long after that that I looked out at the wing and, and saw that we were starting to pick up a little bit of ice. So I had the, the ice protection system on at that time on, on uh, normal. 
And normal is, you know, 30 seconds on, 90 seconds off, and it'll just keep going through that sequence. And just to catch everybody up, though, can you explain to us how does that Cirrus uh, anti-icing system work with the wet wings? Would you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, so you got, you know, in this particular airplane, you got uh, eight gallons of, of total TKS fluid, four gallons in each wing. Um, and on the strip of the leading edge, there's, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of microscopic, you know, holes in there. Um, and then a membrane behind that, and, you know, it, it pumps the fluid through there and it just kind of oozes out the, I guess that's probably the best way I can describe it, it just kind of oozes out the wing, uh, out the leading edge of the wing there. And as it's, you know, as you're flying through the air and that's oozing out the wing, it's, you know, adhering to the wing and vertical stabilizer and, and tail. And it's, you know, completely covering um, the wing, vertical stabilizer and tail with this TKS fluid. And as we mentioned, it's designed as anti-icing, so it's best to use, you know, before you pick up icing, and it'll prevent it. Supposedly, it has some qualities to help with de-ice, but you really can't count on it for that, and it's not going to get you uh, out of a lot of trouble in icing. Yeah, you know, the, the way I, I've always heard about it is that it's um, an anti-ice system. I'm not completely familiar with the, you know, the de-ice properties of it. I've always looked at it from the standpoint, you know, of, of being... Um, a safe pilot and using it for anti-ice, not to de-ice what I've already got on my wings, mm-hmm. um, which is why I, I turned that on, you know, well before we entered the clouds, because I wanted to give it a little bit of time. Now, stepping back, you do need to do a pre-flight when you're, um, before you take a flight into, into no icing conditions and make sure that the system's working, you know, when you're on the ground, which I did. But um, even though I did the pre-flight, I knew it was working. I still wanted to, to, activate the system prior to entering the clouds so that I could visually see out the wings that it's covering the wings. And you can see, you'll see the fluid, you know, streak across the wings. And that's, that's how you know that it's, that it's working in flight. Yeah. Okay, great. So you've got the system working. You see, despite that you have the system working, you're beginning to pick up a little ice. Is that right? Yeah. So, so the Cirrus has some little, little strips on the leading edge of the wings that are designed to, uh, you know, kind of be easy to see the ice as it as it starts accumulating. So I could start. I started seeing some ice, you know, slowly building up on there, and I figured, all right, well, you know what? I don't like ice, and I don't want that on on my airplane. So I'm going to turn the system on to on to high, just you know, because I know I might be in in these conditions here for a little bit. So the less I can pick up now is is going to you know be beneficial for me. You know, now as I'm picking up a little bit of ice, now I'm starting to formulate. You know, what am I going to do if I pick up more. What am I going to do if it gets worse? You know, what way am I going to turn? So, you know, I'm a little busy at this point, just trying to think of things and look at um, not only what I'm seeing on my iPad, but also what I'm seeing on, on the screen um, of the Cirrus. So we do the direct Rochester and then the ice starts, starts picking up a little bit more shortly after we had, we had made that turn to go direct. And I figured, you know, I remember looking down at, in, at the gauges and on that system, if, if you're full tanks and you're running, you know, on normally, you've got about two hours and 30 minutes. If you're on high, you've got about an hour and 15 minutes. And if you're on max, you got a little over 30 minutes. So knowing that I'd used some fluid on the way over there um, and then kind of trying to, to do some quick math in my head, I'm like, you know, how long, if I had to run this thing on max, you know, how long... Do I have how many miles do I have to go? All that stuff. Now, Cirrus also calculates it out for you. And I was probably showing about 15 to 20 minutes on, on max with the fluid that I had. So mm. I was probably roughly about half tanks in there. And uh, at that point, I decided, you know what? 
if I need to use Max and if I get too far in here, then I'm not going to be able to get out. And, you know, this was a, a good friend of mine, uh, you know, owns the airplane. And I'm also thinking, you know, one, I'm also going to fly to live another day, but two, I'm not going to call my friend and tell him, Hey, I pulled the shoot on your airplane because I made a stupid decision. Mm. So I asked, uh, I asked Chicago center, you know, if I could divert to Madison because Madison at the time was reporting 700 foot overcast with one and a half mile visibility. And the reason I chose Madison was because, you know, when I looked at the screen, Madison's my closest airport with, you know, 25 miles away. And at that point I probably had maybe a quarter inch of ice on the wings. Um, and I flipped the system onto max and, you know, some people might say, Oh, a quarter inch of ice, you know, that's, that's not much. You can handle much more than that. Um, which I'm sure you probably could. Right. But, you know, like I said earlier, I, I don't like ice on my airplane and, you know, I want to live to fly another day. And if I have to, to land somewhere and divert because of weather, then, you know, that's just fine by me. Hey listeners, do you love aviation? Did you know that general aviation contributes billions to the U S economy every year? and is a vital pipeline for military and commercial pilot force. AOPA works to ensure the vitality of the general aviation industry and supports our freedom to fly. Join us and become a member now at AOPA.org. You'll become part of a worldwide community of aviation enthusiasts. We'd love to have you. Yeah, I, I would I would disagree with those people who don't think a quarter inch of ice is, is much to be concerned about. I, I think it is, and especially you have your anti-ice system running and you're still picking up ice, right? That would, that would really worry me. That's exactly it. And that's why that was a big reason why I chose to divert. And, you know, I, I put it on max and, and when I put it on max, it was not accumulating anymore, but it was not getting rid of what I had. What I had on there was not going away. Mm -hmm. And that there was the concerning thing to me. And, you know, like I said, going back to Cirrus's training videos, like I said, they do, they're, training courses are phenomenal. Um, and that's when they say you need to get out of it is, is if you have to use your system on max, you got to get out of it. And I don't care what, what anybody says about, you know, how much ice you can pick up and, you know, these people that want to tell these war stories and stuff, you know, good, good for you. And I'm glad that you made it out, but you know, I'm, I'm just not willing to, to risk it, especially, you know, I've got my brother-in-law with me too. So that's obviously a, a concern. Can we talk a little bit about how are you dealing with, is he, a pilot also is he very aware of aviation um, you've obviously got a lot going through your mind you're concerned about a few things are you advising him of the things you're thinking about talk to us a little bit about that yeah so he he's not a pilot um, you know he's he's traveled on you know by air a lot of times took a lot of vacations um, you know been around the world things like that so he's very comfortable flying uh, you know obviously he, he trusts me to, to fly with me um, but no you know I, I kind of you know, when we were planning this on the ground, I kind of told him that we, you know, what the weather was like and, and showed him some pictures beforehand of what ice looks like built up onto the wings, just so he would understand what I'm looking for. And, and I told him, Hey, keep, keep your eye on that, you know, on the, on your right wing and let me know if you, if you see anything, if it starts picking up ice. And, you know, so I had kind of briefed him before the flight. So he would have an understanding of kind of what, what's going on. Um, but no, he was he was very calm. Like I said, he's he's used to flying. Um, but you know, he he would would point out. You know, I'd ask him, "Hey, are you, are you seeing anything on on your wing?" And you know, he'd tell me, "Yeah, it looks like I got a little bit on mine." So I'd look at mine and I'd take a glance at, at his too, just so I could see what what was going on on, on his wing. Um, but yeah, you know, I was very busy at that point. I was 
you know, looking at my iPad, looking at, you know, where VFR was, where warmer weather was, um, where I could divert to, you know, how am I going to get out of this now? Um, and then, you know, knowing that, that like I said, I, I have to divert to Madison, knowing that Madison was IFR with 700-foot overcast and one-and-a-half-mile visibility with snow, uh, I chose that because it was, it was the closest airport. And quite frankly, you know, when, when you're in those conditions, you know, your training goes back to, hey, where's your closest diversion point? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I chose Madison. And, and looking back now, you know, maybe that wasn't the, the best diversion point, but like I said, it was, it was the closest and that's why I chose it. Um, so then I, you know, and I'll explain kind of that, that decision-making here in a, in a minute and why I didn't land at Madison and why I went to, to Rockford instead. Um, so Chicago, uh, center hands me off to, to Madison Approach, and I'm still at 10,000 feet at this point. And Madison Approach gives me, a, uh, I believe it was a right turn to, to like 090, and they were going to vector me for the ILS 36, and they gave me a descent down to, to 4,000. So now in this, I'm trying to, um, you know, reprogram Madison into the flight plan. I've got the autopilot on just to, to reduce my workload. Still trying to, you know, even though the autopilot's on, that's not a free pass to have your head buried in your lap and to not pay attention. So I'm still trying to, you know, essentially fly the airplane by making sure that the autopilot's doing, you know, what I programmed it to do. Uh, pull up the approach plate for, for Madison, load the approach, check the wings, um, and then still in the back of my mind, you know, formulate a plan for if Madison doesn't work out or, you know, what am I going to do here? So I was starting to think through those types of things. Um, and my thought process was this, it was, you know, Madison's reporting 700 foot overcast light snow with one and a half mile visibility. And I was pretty confident that I could get into Madison, you know, especially in, in that airplane, that airplane's, you know, very, very capable and a great, great airplane to fly in instrument conditions. And, and you had the other element of that, which is it, it is a great airplane for instrument. It's built for that. It's built for traveling and being able to penetrate weather and get instruments. And it's got all the systems there for that. And you're proficient. You had a lot of time in the airplane. You'd been instructing in the airplane. You felt really good about your skills. So 700 isn't bad. A mile and a half, eh, you know, that's the, you know, you're you're certainly going to be on your game flying the approach with uh, with blowing snow and, and the rest, right? With a mile and a half vid, so that that's probably going through your mind a little bit, like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to be on my game for this approach. Yeah, you know, you you bring up a good point because that's that's you read my mind, and that's exactly what I was getting to, and and you know, so that was one of the factors. Um, the other factor is that I was considering is that although I felt very good about it, I'm very proficient. Um, I also have to remember that a lot of, you know, as I mentioned before, a lot of my students that I'm, that I'm flying with now are either instrument or commercial students. So my role as an instructor when I'm flying with those students is a lot more of a role where, you know, I'm kind of sitting back and letting them fly mm-hmm. the airplane and I'm just pointing out and, and teaching um, as opposed to actually physically controlling the airplane. So, you know, most of my time is not in, yeah. you know, single pilot solid IMC at night, you know, with a, with a very high workload and accumulating ice. So that was a, a, you know, another factor that, that went through my mind. And, and like I said, I I felt very comfortable. Everything was, was going very well given, given the conditions and, and all that stuff. So as far as, you know, having that workload and and my performance, you know, I I wasn't concerned about that. Um, But as I started thinking through it a little bit more, what did get me concerned is that, you know, now I'm in a descent 
um, down into Madison. I've got the approach up. I'm starting to brief it. And then I'm thinking to myself, okay, so I'm in a descent. You know, a lot of times to get out of icing, you climb or, or descend to try to get it to a different mm-hmm. altitude to see if maybe that icing isn't there. Um, but as I'm in this descent, I'm still in this precipitation and I've still got my system on max and I still have the ice that I had originally picked up. So my thought was, okay, I'm, you know, very confident that I can land in Madison with, with no problem. However, um, in the event that, that, and like we said before, weather is dynamic, right? It's constantly changing. Um, and with this weather, this particular day, I was thinking, what if Madison, by the time I get lined up for that approach, what if Madison goes, you know, half a mile visibility or a mile visibility, or what if it deteriorates? Now I have just taken that out away by, you know, cause it's going to take me a little bit of time to get there and not a lot of time because I was only 25 miles away, but you know, that can change. The snow could come down heavier. The visibility could deteriorate. Um, so after I thought about that and kind of processed that, um, I knew that Rockford was still VFR. And when I was on my way, you know, to Rochester, um, as I passed Rockford, I remember thinking to myself, Rockford is my VFR out. If I need a VFR out, it's Rockford. It's a class Delta airspace. It's got plenty of runway. It's got services. It's got anything that I may need. So as I process that thought of what if I can't get into Madison, um, I get down to 4,000 feet here now and I'm getting close to the, to the final approach course. And I just thought, you know what, why don't I just divert to, to Rockford? It's really not that far. I've got fuel. It's warmer. It would probably be all around the, the best decision that I could make tonight. And that was about, what, maybe 50, 60 miles south of you, so a half an hour at the most? Yeah, it, it wasn't very far. It probably was a little less than that, maybe. Um, so then I, I let, uh, let Madison approach know that, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to go to Rockford. I'm not, I'm not shedding the sights that I've got. It's still, it's still there. I'm just probably my best course of action is to go to Rockford. So, you know, he, he clears me direct Rockford. And at that point, like I said, I was, you know, getting saturated with everything that was going on. Um, and I, I just remember thinking, you know, you know what, I just, I just need to get out of this. So, and that's what I told the control. I just need to get out of this. And, and can you give me a vector? And, you know, I was very busy. I didn't have, have a free moment to, you know, program Rockford in there because I was already all set up for the ILS 3.6 into Madison. Um, so I just asked them for a vector. And I think that's one of the other things that people forget um, about air traffic is air traffic control is phenomenal and they are always willing to help you out. Uh, but you just, sometimes you got to ask for it because they don't know what's going on in that cockpit. Um, the controller doesn't know that, that I'm extremely busy and don't have a, a free minute to program Rockford in there. So yeah. just ask them for a vector. I have found just like you, that to be such a helpful tip when you're task-saturated IFR and you're in IMC conditions and they update your clearance or provide you a new clearance and you just simply say, you know, copy, give me a vector to the first point and they'll always do that for you and it just gives you more time to kind of slow things down. And I agree with you, Terry. Um, I have found, especially if they sense that you're in a little bit of trouble, um, they are so helpful if, uh, and we can, we as pilots can really learn how to use them better. Yeah, I, I think more people need to, you know, or, or should should use them and should think about things like that because you know they don't want anything bad to happen to a pilot and they're they're there to help and and I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of, of that because 
people can think, well, you know, I don't want to bother them or I don't want to, you know, that's what they're there for. And they're more than happy to provide pilots with, with assistance when needed. Great. So you, you turn south, you've got vectors uh, towards Rockford. Yeah. So I, if I remember correctly, he gave me a heading of, of one six initially. Um, and then I came back, I said, I just, I just need to get out of this. And he comes back and says something like, you know, the precipitation you're in, you know, 160 will get you direct Rockford. But, you know, if you want to get out of the precipitation you're in, if you go to a 090. So I went to 090 and, and I knew, you know, just from where I was at and where the weather was moving and where the, you know, what was behind me obviously was, was to the east. Um, so I knew that, you know, because that's where I came from the east and, that, you know, that was the where the clear weather was. That was where the warmer weather was as well. So. Uh, you know, I turned to that to that zero nine zero heading, and I'm flying east. Um, and he comes back, and he's offered me altitude changes, asked me what altitude I, I would want. Um, extremely, extremely helpful, um, because you know, although I, I felt confident at, at four thousand feet, knowing that I'm I'm not picking up anymore, um, you know, I'm going to be to warmer weather soon. It's going to melt off. Um, I just decided to, to stay at 4,000 feet. I knew, you know, that I would be safe at 4,000 feet. I didn't have, you know, because I didn't plan um, to be in that area originally. Um, I wanted to stay at 4,000 feet just to make sure that I would meet obstacle clearances because that was about the point where I'm like, okay, what about my obstacles? Because I wasn't planning on being, you know, just south of Madison and you know, that because that's not where my, my route of flight took me. Um, so that's another thing to, to, to think about, too, is to, you know, expand out from, from your, your flight plan and check your minimum, minimum safe altitudes and everything. And I wasn't too terribly concerned about that just because, that you know, they're not going to fly you into an obstacle. They're going to steer you away from that. But, you know, I also didn't think that, that 3,000 feet, I'd still be in, in IMC. So I figured, you know, I, I like to use altitude as my friend just in the event that, you know, you have an engine problem or need to troubleshoot anything, um, you know, altitude is, is always your friend in, in that case. So I really didn't want to go go down any further. I just wanted to stay at, at 4,000 feet. Um, and that ended up working out. Like I said, I wasn't picking up anymore at that time. And, and even if I, you know, when I did the, the briefing, you know, the lower altitudes had the less severe forecasted icing. So, you know, it was like trace to light at those altitudes. So I figured that that would probably be a, a good altitude to cruise over to, to Rockford at. Um, and it wasn't, you know, long after that, that, that we uh, started getting some ground visibility and, uh, and then, you know, shortly thereafter broke out, out of the clouds. And then somewhere in that time, you know, I, I had had time to, to get it you know, programmed uh, to Rockford in the GPS. And then once we were kind of out of the, out of the IMC conditions, um, we had went uh, went direct to to Rockford, uh, landed in Rockford with with no incident, and um, at that point we were trying to trying to figure out you know is it worth uh, is it worth waiting the weather out? How long is the weather gonna gonna stay here for? Or should we grab a hotel or should we fill up with TKS fluid and, and and go back? And I was leaning more toward the you know as much as I'd like to get home tonight and sleep in my own bed, it's not worth filling up with TKS fluid and and, and trying to get through that. Even even with a climb up to sixteen thousand feet, it, you know, just fighting the winds, just everything in totality, it, it would be better to just stay the night there. And it seemed like it had been a pretty long day for you as well. So you know, at some point, um, fatigue might start to set in. So perhaps something else you're thinking about. Yeah, yeah, we had we had left. I want to say we had left Rochester about ten o'clock, nine ten o'clock in the morning, and it was probably six or seven at this point. So it wasn't 
wasn't terribly late, but, you know, just, just thinking of, of that, yeah, as, as a um, potential that, you know, it is dark and, and uh, although I'm, I'm not much of a morning person, I'm more of a night owl, but, but still, I don't want to want to put myself in, in a situation where I just had a um, pretty high workload experience mm-hmm. and it probably wouldn't be um, the best aeronautical decision-making to go and, and top off with TKS fluid and go try to do it again. Um, plus the other thing that, that, you know, came into play is that the weather was moving kind of to the, to the East a little bit. And after, you know, kind of going through some weather briefings again and, and thinking through this, you know, I thought about maybe flying South to fly, fly around it, which would, you know, prolong our flight. But, um, you know, I just figured it's not worth it. And, uh, and then, you know, by that time, the snow had, had really started coming down in, in Rockford. So, um, I remember going out to the, to the airplane and we probably had at least, um, an inch of, of snow on the wings when we went to go unload our stuff out of the yeah. airplane in, in Rockford. And that was probably about an hour after we had landed there. Well, Terry, a, a, a great ending uh, to a very demanding flight. And what I really admire is that I can just hear, or at least hear myself thinking as you were going through that uh, en route and you're starting to pick up some ice and you've got your anti-ice going and that little bug on your shoulder saying, well, it's supposed to end. Well, it'll just be a few more minutes. You know, if you just keep pressing, we'll be through this on the other side pretty quickly. And that thought process has led uh, to so many sad outcomes, you know, in general aviation and icing conditions. So was that something you were fighting or was it a pretty easy decision for you? No, it was, it was an extremely easy decision for me. Um, you know, I've been fortunate in in aviation that you know, I've always had good instructors that have, have taught me um, good flying habits and good aeronautical decision-making um, to which I've been able to, to pass on other people. Um, the other thing that I'll say is, you know, I don't know how many, how many of those people out there that have that bug on their shoulder, if they watch your, your um, some of your YouTube videos or listen to your podcasts, but um, you know, I think these podcasts, and the things that you guys put out are, are phenomenal. I think that um, a lot of people can benefit from listening to these and watching these and then thinking through um, that accident chain in, in some of the cases. Um, you know, you guys just put together that, that other video, that uh, Cirrus, and I believe it was yeah. Bonanza that it went yeah. down. And, uh, you know, I, I just recently watched that, and, and that, that came out after, after my encounter. Um, and I just, you know, it almost gives you chills listening to, to some of those or, you know, thinking as I watch, I watch a lot of those videos. And as I watch those, I always put myself in the pilot seat and think, you know, what is going through his mind? You know, what in that case, what are the icing conditions? What did that look like to him out the window when he looked out the window and saw the ice on there? And, and how do you, I also ask, you know, how do you get yourself that deep into one of those situations? Yeah. And, you know, what would I have done? Um, if I was in that situation. So I, I think that, you know, some of those things have really helped me to, to not have that little bug on my shoulder telling me, hey, it's just a few more minutes, you can get through this. Yeah. Um, it's always best to err on the side of caution and, and not risk it. And especially with ice, because ice can pick up so quickly, you know, um, whereas it just seems like a little bit of ice now and you go a little bit further and the next thing you know, it is really starting to accumulate and, you know, that system that you have on the Cirrus, good, good system, but not designed to do de-icing on any kind of a scale like that. So, um, 
And I appreciate your comments. That's why we do these. We want we want people to consume them just like you do, sit in the cockpit with us and think through the challenges that this pilot's going through and what would you do and what would be the mistakes. And so as you kind of summarize it, Terry, um, what are some of the takeaways that we can all learn, some of the lessons learned from your encounter? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the biggest things is that people fail to do is do a comprehensive weather briefing, mm-hmm. you know, do not skip that. I mean, that's one of the most important things that you can do as a pilot to be aware of, you know, what the, the conditions are, uh, both departure in route and, and arrival. Now that's not to say that they can't change on the arrival, but um, you know, you need to be aware. And, and in fact, you know, by regulations, you need to be aware of that. So, you know, that only, not only includes, you know, maybe checking it the night before, or, you know, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm might be a little bit of an anomaly because I'm a flight instructor and fly, you know, almost every single day. So I'm constantly looking at the weather, but, you know, make sure to do that for a flight weather briefing. Um, if you have any questions on something, you know, call a briefer, you can always talk to a briefer. Those people are extremely friendly, extremely helpful. And, and, you know, they want you to make a safe flight as well. Um, you know, if you don't have an airplane that's equipped for flight into no icing conditions, don't go into those types of conditions. Um, and even if you do have a, a, an airplane that's equipped for flight into non-icing conditions, that's not a, you know, a free get out of jail card. You know, you can still get yourself in trouble. Um, you know, who knows what would have happened if I didn't make the decision to, to divert, if I had that bug on my shoulder that said, hey, we can, you know, it's only 50 miles or whatever, whatever it was, you know, I could have gotten to a point of that, that you're past the point of no return. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure to monitor, you know, if you, if you got a TKS airplane, make sure to monitor and, and know how much fluid you've got in there. Do your, your um, icing system pre-flight. If, if you're flying a Cirrus, there's, there's a procedure for that. And, and make sure to, to check all that and, and make sure your wings, you got to wet your wings every 30 days, making sure that the system is, is functioning every 30 days. The other most important part is, is to have an out know you know what airports are reporting what and and like i said as i was flying i was constantly looking at that and and knowing that that rockford for example was was vfr everything you know to the northwest of me was was ifr to low ifr so you know just pay attention and, and keep an eye on that stuff um don't be afraid to ask air traffic control for help those people are out there to help you and then you know lastly if, if you think that you're getting into a situation you know don't be afraid to make that call to divert earlier than, than later, because the later you make that call, the more trouble you could potentially get yourself into. Some great lessons learned for all of us to think about and how we can avoid icing situations and deal with them early if we encounter them. Terry, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, there's a great example from Terry of preparation to know what the weather is supposed to be doing, the most up-to-date and accurate forecast he could find. He's got Sirius XM in the cockpit so he can keep it fresh. And then he knows his outs, so he knows which way the system is going. And if he gets in trouble, he knew that to his left and to the southeast was where he was going to go. And sure enough, that became an option that he took when he began to feel task saturation building in his cockpit. And he began to realize that he was down to a very limited option, and he didn't need to do that. He could turn around and make it easier on himself. So some great preparation, some great decision-making right at the start. He's got his anti-ice system on max, and he's still picking up ice and makes a great decision right then. That's enough. 
I'm going to get out of this and makes his decision to divert. So we're thankful that he shared his story, some great things for us to think about in terms of decision-making and a great example that he set. Terry, thanks so much for sharing your story. And thank you for joining us on another edition of There I Was. Alongside our producer, Tyler Pangborn, I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Fly safe. Hey, listeners, if you like these podcasts and you'd like to help us continue providing them, please consider a donation to help our efforts. Go to aopafoundation.org slash donate. That's aopafoundation, all one word, dot org slash donate. And thanks for your support. There I Was is produced by the AOPA Air Safety Institute. If you'd like to hear other episodes, submit comments, or submit your own story to potentially be featured on the show, please visit airsafetyinstitute.org slash there I was. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.